welcome back to another episode of Hashtag Only in LA. On today's show, we have Ed Squire. Ed is a writer, video producer, and entrepreneur in the collectibles industry. He got his start in LA working in the photo archives for the Walt Disney Company, and we are so excited to have him on the show today. Welcome, Ed. Hey, Jody. So we usually like to start off the show with your LA story. Okay. Well, I went. I grew up in Syracuse, New York. Okay. Uh, and I went to school at Ithaca College, which is only about an hour and a half away from Syracuse, for film production. Okay. So it's a great film school, but if you're going to film school after graduation, especially then there are kind of two choices. You either went to New York City or Los Angeles. Right. Uh, but New York City was pretty much just a location at the time. The real decisions were made out here. So, yeah, I got an internship out here and ended up moving here uh, right around 1990, actually. Okay, who was your internship with? Was it in the business? It was. It was with Mainline Pictures, uh, which was producing Boxing Helena. The oh, oh, yes. yeah, that was quite... Co- what a controversial movie I was to there, get started with. Yes, yes. I was there during the Kim Basinger's going to be in it phase to the Cheryl Fenn is going to be in it phase. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was a big deal. I was still in high school at the time, but I remember all of those stories and, you know, to, I guess, penetrate my high school world had to be yeah. probably on Entertainment Tonight every night, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that was that was a, uh, an interesting time to be there. Uh, but yeah, mostly during the pre-production for the film was when I was with, associated with that. Cool. And so that's how you got here. Right. And so you obviously went back to college to finish up. Yeah. And uh, you came back. So yeah. you must have liked it. Well, I was out here. I had an odd experience where I came out here. The internship was after my junior year. And I also won an award oh, for, for the first screenplay I wrote. Oh, what was that about? <laughs> uh, so Nissan and Kodak used to give out a, a reward for uh, student fi- or awards for student films, and uh, and they had a screenplay category. And I wrote a screenplay that was called Squids on Broadway. That w- <laughs> that was a musical comedy based on the horror stories of H.P. Lovecraft. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing! Well, thank you. I liked it. Are you going to produce that ever? I think I would love to. I would love to. At the time, everybody backed away from it because the effects were to be like through the roof, you know. Yeah, you but to... now you could probably get away with it. Now you could do it pretty easily. But I wrote nine original songs for it. Wow. And, You're a composer uh, as well? Well, I write lyrics. <laughs> wow. I can write lyrics and hand them to somebody who's a composer and say, can, okay. can these fit music? Yeah. <laughs> These fit music. Well, it's it's just writing <laughs> rhymey, rhymey. Right. I can write rhymey lines with okay. the same syllables in each of them. Is, that's the key. That's the whole wow. key. Wow. Yeah, yeah so, so that was it. So I had an agent here. I got an agent here during the writer's strike, the worst time to have an agent. Is that when um, reality TV was born? This was before that. Oh, okay. This is so kind this of before the, reality the, TV. The first writer's strike. Because I know reality TV was born out of a writer's strike. Yeah. I want to say Well, kind of. This is sort of interesting because one of the one of the documentary film winners um the year I was there, one of the students from USC, I think it was, made a black and white film shot in 16mm called Gang Cops where he rode along in cars with police officers in Los Angeles 
you know, on busts and on, you know, bad on calls. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? Oddly enough, a year <laughs> or so later, the TV show Cops started up. Wow. Yeah. So, so you, I guess that was it. You could say that was the birth of reality show shows. Cops was one of the first big shows like that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, so just getting back to your LA journey oh, here. Yeah. Uh, so you won a, an award. Yes. You got an agent. Yes. And you said, I'm going to L.A. And then I said, I'm going back to school and went back to school for a year before, you know, cutting off my writing career at the time. This is a terrible thread to follow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what got you here, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but anyways, after I graduated college, I ended up moving out here and looking to work in the industry. And, okay. Uh, and how... How was that? Was it easy to find work in the industry here at the time, or what was the first thing you found? Uh, now I'm trying to think. Um, I got I had a PA job on a Lifetime movie that was Cheryl Ladd that was called it was called They're Doing My Time. Okay. But then when it aired, it was it was called Locked Up: A Mother's Rage. Oh my god. <laughs> It's about a single mom, and she's dating a guy who's a drug dealer, it turns out, and she gets framed for it and goes to prison while her three kids suffer outside. Oh, my gosh. Women in prison. It's Women a whole genre. Yeah. Yeah. Angela Bassett was in that. Wow. It was very early, right after Boys in the Hood, I think. Wow. She was, so she was just getting attention. Cheryl had um, the little girl from Jurassic Park. I forget her name, but she was in it. The interesting thing was she had three little kids. She had like a four-year-old daughter that didn't age in the five years that she was in prison. Okay. <laughs> so a lifetime movie. Early yeah. lifetime as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was like 1990, 91. And do you remember how you landed that gig? I'm not sure. I think it was a, a phone call from, uh, I knew somebody, you know, it's like, it's like production was stalled one place uh, where, where they wanted me to work and I got in there. And then when I finished that job, I remember I, I handed the unit production manager my resume and I attached a one-page cartoon that I drew on it, just like to get attention. And she was, I was there in the office and she was laughing hysterically at this stupid cartoon that I made. Mm -hmm. And um, then while I was there, she got a call for somebody looking for a production assistant. I got my second job right from that, which was on a PBS movie called Family Business. Okay that was all about um, early uh, African-American cinema, how there were Westerns starring black stars in the 40s. And oh, stuff. wow. And really interesting. interesting. It was a very interesting show to work on. Uh, Robert Guillaume uh, was on that. Uh, Tim Reed, I met there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, is that true? Is, so I guess is it true about L.A. that it's all about who you know? It doesn't hurt. It's not all about who you know, but if you know somebody, it is because <laughs> then you know them. You know what I mean? Isn't that that like? It's like how they say you you always, when you're looking for something, you always find it in the last place you look. It's like, well, yeah, because you stop looking then. Yeah. You know, if you know people that can get you connected, it doesn't hurt. Yeah, well, you sure. hear that a lot about Los Angeles, the yeah. nepotism, and and if you don't have that you know how much harder is it for you to break into the business it's it's tricky but you know talent goes a long way but you know we've we've all seen people that get there without talent because they have connection we see right. people that get there with talent without connections right. you know if you're hiring somebody for production the devil you know is better than the devil you don't 
So it's just that. <sighs> what an interesting phrase. I've that never you've heard never that. Heard, that's an old one. I'm not responsible for that. Oh, wow. The devil you know. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Yeah. I guess that could be true on many levels. Many levels. <laughs> okay, so I have a theory um, that when people come to L.A., they usually live in three neighborhoods before they settle. Okay. And so I want to know if my theory works with you. I'm sure it does, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, when I was first out here on my internship, I stayed in a little apartment. I mean, I started off sleeping on the floor with guys that graduated the year before me at Ithaca College. Down in... Oh, why? Was there overlap? What do you mean? Like, they hadn't left yet and you were coming in? No, no, no. It's oh. like they were out here with an apartment. With, oh. You know, they had an apartment and I slept on the couch or, you know. Oh, okay. You know, that was in Culver City right by uh, Motor Avenue and above Venice. You know where Motor and Venice... Well, yeah, yeah, and that it, and, and I was working in the ABC Circle building, which was on Pico, so it was like just a short drive up motor. Right. It's a good place to be. So that's the first place I stayed. Went back to school, came back out here, uh, spent a week with friends down on Sawtell. That doesn't really that count. That doesn't count. A week doesn't count. Yeah, that's but then I moved. I moved into Larchmont Village. Okay. Um, beautiful neighborhood. Beautiful neighborhood. Great little apartment. It was this little building that was at least built around 1920, if not earlier. Oh, I love those. As a little hotel. Oh. And so the rooms were, you know, you know, it was a bachelor room, so it didn't have a full-size kitchen. It had like a little refrigerator and a hot plate and a toaster oven. Um, yeah. Had a beautiful bathroom, just like great tiles. You know what I mean? Just yeah, this hotel. That vintage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I paid $350 a month wow. furnished with utilities. What do you think it'd go for now? 1600 Wow. So, I don't know. I'm guessing. Yeah, that, bachelor. That well, now on Larchmont. Larchmont, Larchmont is so, so... I mean, it was a nice neighborhood then, but it was like a nice, quiet, little small town neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and now is it? it's kind of hipstery, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. upscale. Oh, hipstery. yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very upscale. Um, but I liked it too because I was it's where I was was like a block and a half from Paramount Studios mm. so when I was first out here before I was working I would walk up there in the mornings um, once a week and try to get tickets to the Cheers taping oh my gosh so I was a huge fan of Cheers yeah so they taped Cheers there I got to see one of them um, which one did you see? Uh, it's one of the later ones with Rebecca with Kirstie Alley it's where okay. um uh, Frasier and Lilith turn the pool room into a tea room. Oh my gosh! So we're gonna have to find that on YouTube and post it to our <laughs> to our postcast newsletter. Yeah, it's one of the <laughs> one of the last ones, and it took about four and a half hours to tape it. I remember that that was a long one. Uh, but uh, I mean, for me, new here and working in the industry, and I always loved sitcoms. So going and seeing that, I went and saw that. I saw Dear John, which was a Judd Hirsch show. Wow. Um, and would you say that, that going to a taping is a quintessential L.A. thing to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I don't know. I, I think it's it's a great thing to do. You can't do it all the time. Right. It's, it, it does kind of wear you out. But it's good to go and see and really get an understanding for the business. And, and how know. a show gets made. And I think I remember from my first taping... I don't know if you remember this show, but it was called Nurses. I remember Nurses. Was that uh, Lonnie Anderson on that, or was it? It was the the redhead from uh, from the Van Halen video. 
Tawny Katane? No, no, no. I don't know. Maybe Tawny. Yeah, Tawny. That was, it was a Disney show, so we had books. Oh, really? We had books for it in the in the photo library. I remember. So the who was the main character? The male. I can't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we can look it up. But um, that taping took like nine hours. Holy cow! I thought I was gonna die. Right. <laughs> and did they have actual chairs, or were you on a bench? Uh, we were in like a stadium seating. Okay. Because a lot of them, they have this bench, and one of the warm-up guys described it perfectly. It says they take a plank, and they staple a cotton ball to one side of it, and stretch it all the way down to the other oh end. And staple. I mean, there's no padding, and you're there for four hours. I just remember we were so hungry. Yeah. We could only leave to go to the bathroom. Other than that, we were trapped there. We're, you're, like, really, you're really selling the I know, I'm really here. selling it. I guess what I'm saying is, yes, it is a quintessential L.A. experience, and and I, I highly recommend going to a show that's been on for a while, where yeah. they have it down, and because nurses hadn't even been on yet, I don't think. Right. And so they were still figuring out stuff. Yeah. Uh, they're blocking, how to work together, how to throw lines. Like, it seemed like they were almost doing the rehearsal and the taping at the same time and right. that's what took so long so I guess that would be my advice is to go to a show that's been on the air for a while right well some of I mean one of the early ones I saw was a show called Bob oh. that was Bob Newhart had a show at Paramount where he played a comic book artist oh I, yeah I remember yeah. that and it was a great show to go to because first of all Bob Newhart did his own warm up, warm up. Mm-hmm. he came out mm-hmm. and did stand up to the audience at the opening and we were there for a show that was like he got together with all his po- poker buddies. And so all those contemporaries of his, like Tom Poston, who was on Newhart, remember oh, yeah. he was the, the handyman, and Steve Lawrence and, I, and uh, uh, Dick Martin from Rowan and Martin, they were all on there. So it's a great one to go. It's a great way to see celebrities in their natural That's habitat. That's true. <laughs> yes. I think the last taping I went on was um, the Tyra Banks show. Okay. And Mary J. Blige was on, and she was performing, and that's where I went. <laughs> I get it. I so one time when I didn't get into Cheers, I went to see the Arsenio Hall show. Oh, I, I actually went that. to a taping of his. I was Iggy Pop was on. Oh, <gasps> score! Yeah, I had got Susan Vega. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and George Wallace. But I still you and know, Dan Rather. Oh, ahead, I'm sorry. Dan Rather. There's, yeah. Who, yeah. But. Uh, uh, I still like to go to him, but you go and uh, I've been to the Big Bang Theory several times. I love that show. That's uh, my, like, how many my... times have you seen that one? Actually, I think I went to that five times. Oh wow! Early on, um, but uh, you go in and I'll do it every every three years or so. Probably I go to a taping and you go in like, yeah, this is great. I should do this more often. But it's such a long evening that when you're done, you kind of go, oh, I don't need to do that for a while. Yeah, it takes a lot <laughs> out of you. Yeah, it's. But yeah, so I I would expect to, I think four, three hours would be a miracle. I think usually it's like four to six hours is probably a typical taping. Yeah. Bring a snack. And it is hard. You know, they do repeat scenes several times and they want you to be fresh every time they're telling that joke for the fourth time. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, it's, but yeah, it's, it's fun. So we'll post links to how to find... Um, tickets to tapings. All you got to do is Google how do I get tickets to your show, whatever show you want to, and you find it right away. Oh but there yeah, are... that's true. And then if you're in town, you can go to Hollywood and Highland. There's usually people there recruiting yeah. for shows. 
Yeah, and they give they give preferential seating, at least they used to, to the tickets that you get on Hollywood and Highland, to oh, the really? tickets you get at the studio. L.A. hack. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this is Larchmont. Yeah, so Larchmont had a great little apartment there. And then I moved up to Beechwood Canyon. Also gorgeous. Yeah, like right below the Hollywood sign. Yeah. Um, right around the corner on... Scientology Tam- Celebrity Center. Right across the street from that on Tamarind Avenue. There, oh. There's uh, an apartment building. Uh, Tam- it was a Tamarind, Tamarind Place Apartments, I think. I forget Tamarind the- Terrace, I think. Yeah, they changed the name. We talked about this last time. Yeah, we talked about this last time, <laughs> which is actually a fascinating story. So, well, I, why did they change the name? Because I, I moved in this building, and it's they called it the Tamarind Place, but then they'd have memos posted in the elevator that were on this Tamarind Terrace um, letterhead. So, well, why did they change the name? And then I, I came to learn that one of the Hillside Stranglers lived in the building. Not, not How when I was there. How many were there? There were two. Oh. There were two. I don't know the full story. Angelinos who were here know the story. That was in the 80s. Okay. Um, so not too long before I moved there. But Wow. And so did the building have like a weird, real eerie feeling? Not at all. Was it I haunted? Mean, they said it was haunted, <laughs> but it wasn't because of that. There, oh. was, there, was, there was talk of a, a cowboy haunting it. Um, but that's. Oh, and so what, what was the circa of that building, do you think? Uh, at... 70s or 80s. Oh, really? Like it, was, okay. it was pretty new. Or, oh, okay, it's so nothing there. like your 1920s place. That 1950 Tamarind, drive by. <laughs> yeah, we'll post a link to it. Yeah. Definitely. And the manager's name was Boo Merlin, only in LA. Boo? Boo Merlin. Boo Merlin. Boo. Yeah. Hashtag only in LA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So, do we count Culver City? Because you've hit your three, and we're not to where we are now. Well, that's it. That, yeah, I think that's it. Culver City was the first one. Um, and Larchmont, Beachmont. And so, from Beachmont... Beachwood. Beachwood, sorry. Beachwood, yeah. I moved around that building like five times. Oh, I was okay. There, I was there for a long time, but then okay. I got the condo up here in Glendale. Okay. And now we're in Glendale, and that's where we're taping from today. Yes. Beautiful, sunny... Glendale. Yes, and this was just this was just a good opportunity to get it built in theater, uh, very close to the studios where I worked. So right, could you walk? I could walk. I, I didn't often because I'm in Los Angeles. Right. No. <laughs> what is it like? Maybe a mile away. Maybe a mile. Okay. It's like a twenty minute walk. Yeah. 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 Well, so it almost worked. So you've had four four stops. Yeah. Is that enough? You well, I said three. But four, four works too. So you're not saying at least three, you're saying exactly three? Yeah, usually people go one, two, three. Or maybe. Oh, okay. Well, you could leave out the internship because that was just, I was just staying in another, with the other students. Yeah, okay. Well, three on your own. Okay. One with an internship. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about your time at Disney. You were there for a long time. How long did you work there? 21 years. Wow, you don't really hear that very often. Um, not no. not necessarily, you know, working at Disney, but working anywhere for twenty one years. Yeah, I think the the job market in general has changed a lot from how it was viewed, say back in the eighties, which was before I worked there. But you know, when I when I grew up, we were sort of trained that you got a job someplace, and if you did a good job, you were there for life. You know, or, yeah, or unless then, you got a better job, you'd either get promoted within or maybe move someplace else. Mm-hmm. But now it seems like, again, nobody really expects you to be anywhere more than two years. 
Would you agree? I w- well, I work in tech, so I think that is totally accurate for my discipline. Although, right. recently, um, someone asked me, they're like, you don't stay anywhere very long. And I'm like, it's, it's tech. <laughs> you move around because you want to keep growing. It's and just not, it seems like it's more unusual to be someplace in a long time than the norm. It's yeah, definitely. I think I met someone at Disney that had been there for 15 years and I was like kind of blown off my sh- feet because it, it, this was in tech. She'd been somewhere for 15 years and right. that is like unheard of. Yeah. So, so tell me how you got started there. Um, I, I had a temp job actually. Uh, I, uh, was working at the studio through a temp agency and, um, I was, uh, temping for the marketing department and the uh, receptionist in that building hired for everybody in the building. And I was standing next to her once when she got a phone call from the photo library saying we need somebody for three months. And she said, Ed Squire's right here. So I went in and talked to him, and I started that job when I finished the one I had, and I ended up there for twenty, well, seventeen years in the archives, and then over to Digicent and Disney Interactive. Wow, <laughs> but seven, just seventeen years in the archives. So yeah, so I really learned the Disney brand. I mean, that was great yeah. to work with all the classic stuff. And... Yeah, what was that like? What was your daily? Um... What was your daily task? Well, I was mainly the photo library as part of the archives, but the photo library had all the negatives going back to 1923, 29, when they started really cataloging them for the company. Everything used for publicity. The Walt Disney Company back then, or was it still the silly... 1923 is when it was the Walt Disney Company. Okay, and, before, and prior to that, it was um, Silly Symphonies? No. No? No, 1923 was Oswald Rabbit. Oh, okay. And the Alice comedies. Okay. Or was Oswald 20? I don't know. I so, thought he had... Some a... Disney fan's going to skewer me for getting that wrong. <laughs> don't kill us! Well, Dave Smith used to say, he'd say, I don't know every Disney fact. I know where to look them up. You know what I mean? When you work with right. it, you don't really need to memorize right. that right. Mickey Mouse Dave. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so you had every negative leading back to the company's inception. Yeah, and it was interesting because back in the 30s and 40s, you remember that's before Xerox machines? Mm-hmm. So when they wanted to make copies of things like like contracts or storyboards or sheet music, they would photograph it. So we had ne- there were negatives there for the complete Pinocchio score. Wow. You know? And that's where you'd get all the stuff for like songs that were never used or storyboards that weren't used or they didn't have the original art we'd have those assembled storyboards photographed so when dvd extras started to come around in the 90s that we became a big resource for, for the video there did a lot of mining through the collection and it was all logged by hand it was literally first there was a notebook where they wrote by hand you know they might say disneyland art yeah. five negatives and you'd have to go and pull it and look and go oh these are maps uh, you know maps of the haunted mansion layout Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, really? Treasure trove. Yeah, I found the map for... In 1957, the Haunted Mansion was conceived as a walkthrough attraction, not oh. a ride-through. And uh, I found that it... That makes sense. Like a typical haunted house. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was before the Omnimover, which is the system that you ride through. The mm-hmm. dune buggies is the Omnimover. It was before that was developed. And um i found that we found the script in the archives and i found the map there as well of the layout and so i did an article in e-ticket magazine about the ghost house wow the original concept 
And so, okay, so you, you'd get people come in, they're like, we're making this D, or, or DVD or... not. You didn't do it for VHS tapes, I guess. No, we did. Oh, okay. They, in the VHS days, they were producing documentaries on the end of them oh. about the making of the film. So we'd get stills for that. So was that your main purpose, was to work with these groups to produce that content? Yeah, I mean, we sort of, we sort of did everything. We'd do artwork on the cruise ships that went up in the rooms. Oh. We did the hotels in attractions, all the posters in Mickey's Toontown okay. um, were reproduced in our office, or from our office uh, originally. Um, How fun! So you just get contacted from all these different groups around the company, and they're like, here's the project I want to do. They'd assign one of you to the project and you would just help them produce it? Yeah, we'd basically help them find the artwork they needed. It was a lot of fun. And there was a so lot of variety fun. to it. Cause, I mean, probably books and then DVDs the most. But we could be doing stuff for sets for TV shows or, you know, like I say, in the theme parks. All kinds of things. Mmm, fun. Coming up, we talk more about Ed's Los Angeles. But that's after this quick word from our sponsor. Solar power is all about forward thinking. But when you generate clean energy from the sun, your meter actually runs backwards. The cost? No money down. Zero dollars to go solar. The savings? They start from day one. Save every month. Solar City is the easiest way to move forward with solar energy. Find out how much Solar City can help you save. Check out their savings calculator at gosolar.onlyin.la. And when you sign up through our referral link, your first month of solar is free. So help yourself, help the show, and help the planet. Visit gosolar.onlyin.la. And now, let's get back to the show. And so, I understand you um, picked up a hobby while while working in the archives. Well, well, one of the great things about it was that these, you know, Disney legends, Disney actor actors from the films would come in to get photos from their own career. And, um, and so they, like, walk in... Ding a bell. They Hello. Us, they'd usually call first <laughs> okay. or send an email, but uh, now they'd come in and we we had a set of books of all the photography shot for every film. So so you'd pre pull for them. I'd pre pull. I get the books yeah. out for them. But when they were looking through the books, I'd always sit out at the table at the other end. It was like a big dining room table type, like a oh, okay. research table. I'd sit at the other end and work on something, because inevitably going through the books. They'd see some photo that would trigger, trigger a memory that they hadn't thought of for 40, 50, 60 years right. sometimes. they go, oh, this was the day that Walt walked on the set and we had the birthday cake and that kid was a real brat. And, you know, you just oh my you'd hear this great stuff that even they hadn't told anybody in that yeah. long because they hadn't thought of it. Yeah. So, so you're meeting these people and one day you're like, damn, I got to get their autograph or something. Well, basically, I just started asking them to sign a photo for me while we were there because we had, we had quantities of photos or I'd have a new photo made and just ask them to sign me. So I've got a good collection of wow. Disney signatures. Wow, about how many do you think you've collected? I've got a count. I'd say it's over 100, 150, wow. somewhere in there. Wow, and I see you've pulled some for us today. Yeah. To, to talk about. So who do you got up first? We've got, this is one of my favorites is uh, Fess Parker and Buddy Ebsen. Oh, wow. Who, Did Fess, they come in together? No. No, this was at separate times. Okay. Buddy Ebsen came to the studio for the Legends Award in like 1994 or so. It was very early. Fess Parker was being taped for the Snow White. I'm amazed I remember this. The Snow White anniversary uh, DVD release. Oh, the, like 70th the 70th anniversary. anniversary? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. 
but it's a photo of them. This is them performing at the Hollywood Bowl, dressed in their characters from uh, from Davy Crockett. Wow. And so I love the the vintage biker photo. Yeah. Who do you have up next? Virginia Davis. What the original? So this is who would you say Disney got his start with? It all started with Virginia Davis. Yes, Not, and before, this before is the before mouse. they came to L.A. Yeah, he made the first uh, Alice's Wonderland, the little demo uh, short. doesn't even have fin- an end to it, but it was the idea of putting a real girl in a cartoon world. Yeah. And he sold that and... Uh, came out to Los Angeles, basically, and started making them here. And he did a whole series of them. And as I discovered, trying to pull some history into the movie app I was doing, um, the company does not own the Alice comedies. Right. And they're actually in public domain now. Right. Yeah, they're old enough. They're in public domain. So They're they, really great. I found a whole bunch of them on YouTube. They're really awesome. But back in the 90s, I met her, and she signed that for me. So she was really the first Disney star. So she came in, and wow, how amazing. How amazing to meet her. And did she have any great stories? She talked about being a kid and making the, making these movies. And having probably no idea who yeah. could. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, who's next? Uh, Dickie Jones, the voice of uh, Pinocchio. Wow. Oh, very cool. Pinocchio took, what, twice as long to make as they thought it would take? Wow, you've been doing research. Well, I, I did nothing but movies for so long. Right, right. <laughs> well, you like me, I wrote the trivia calendar for uh, Andrews McMeal for 10 years. Wow. With, with uh, over 300 trivia facts every year. So every film, it's like Pinocchio, it's okay, it's the second animated feature. It uh, came out in February 1940. Uh, the first animal to speak in a Disney feature was Jiminy Cricket. It oh, just kind of has all those. that's great. So yeah. tell me more about... Um... Well, this one, we were talking, we talked about it last time. We did, we did. <laughs> but, it was a great L.A. story well, coming like, up. Well, one of the things I like, I collect about is vintage Los Angeles and places that used to be here. Yeah. And are gone, long gone or forgotten. And I started finding matchbooks on eBay and things. And... Um, Dick Jones, child star after after Pinocchio, he became pretty famous from that. He did, he was in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with Jimmy Stewart. Um, but I found a matchbook on eBay for a place called Monkey Island that was an attraction in the Coanga Pass, right where the Barham uh, on-ramp is. Okay. If you go north on Coanga, you hit the Barham on ramp, and then there's this little office building on the right side. You're headed north, and just past that, there's this little tiny park that looks like nothing, uh, just this little patch of green. That was where Monkey Island was. That's exactly where Monkey Island was, which was a big concrete island with 500 to a thousand monkeys on it. And I started doing research. Oh my and god, it, that sounds insane. Yeah. It's and it was a popular uh, destination for like divorced dads to take their kids on the weekends. <laughs> so you'd see all these big celebrities there with their kids, and somebody described it as you paid a quarter or a nickel. I don't remember. You paid you paid to watch monkeys watch you watching them. So just like this this concrete <laughs> island full of monkeys. And in researching online, I saw that Dick Jones, the voice of Pinocchio, was one of the celebrities who visited there. And he was, was he a divorced dad? No, no, he was a kid at the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was a kid at the time, and they even, they had a picture of him on the island. You know, celebrities get to go on Monkey Island, not just look at it. Oh from wow! The water. And um, surrounded by hundreds of monkeys, it looked absolutely terrifying. How frightening! Yes, and um, 
he was still around at this time. He, he only passed away in the last couple of years. Okay. And uh, I had seen him at the studio for an archives event and uh, a legend ceremony. And uh, I said, you know, I should really, really call him and ask him about Monkey Island. So I got, I got his home number. I called his house, answering machine. It's, hi, this is Richard Jones. Please leave a message at the beep beep. Yeah. So I said, hi, uh, Mr. Jones. This is Ed Squire. I'm calling from Disney. Uh, I saw you at the legend ceremony the other day. Uh, but I didn't want to talk to you about Pinocchio. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about a place called Monkey Island, which was in Los Angeles. And I guess you visited back in the third. And I hear this like crash. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> he grabs the phone. He was screening the phone because he didn't want to talk about Pinocchio. And this voice comes on the phone that says, they learned how to swim. <laughs> and I was just like, I was, I was surprised. I go, yeah. What? He goes, they learned how to swim. Oh there God. were monkeys all over Cahuenga Boulevard, everywhere, running around the cars. Oh my gosh, and so that was the day that that picture was taken? I don't know. I don't know about that. But it's a, he just said they were everywhere. They oh would go, they would go out and they would come back there to eat and sleep at night. And so did I don't you know. guys talk about it some more? Or a little that, bit. And then he hung yeah. up on me. No, we talked a bit. And then a little later he was into the archives to record uh, some commentary for or for a Pinocchio release on DVD. Uh-huh. And so I brought him the photo of him on Monkey Island surrounded by them. And he oh looked at gosh. it and said... I have no recollection of this. So maybe it was so traumatic being surrounded by <laughs> the monkeys. I'll find that photo. I can give you that. Yeah, we've got to have, see that. Oh, it, my gosh. It must have been blocked out from his memory because it looks oh my gosh. terrifying. Did you use that in any of your trivia? I No. No, <laughs> we didn't, I didn't do Monkey Island on, on the uh, on the trivia calendar. What island was Dickie on? I don't know. Never You'd say mind. Pleasure Island. Yes. That's the island that Pinocchio went to. But it wasn't Dickie. It was Pinocchio. It was Pinocchio. As voiced by. Right. Dickie Jones. Dickie Jones. Yeah. I just, I'm just trying to imagine you in, in the archives and every day, some, or maybe once a week, or how often was it that people came in? We, you know, at the height, we had maybe, I, I had seven or eight appointments a day of people throughout the, the, the uh, company coming into work on stuff and how often like a famous wow. Disney person came in. I have no idea. I can't okay. remember. It just, it just happened. It yeah. Was it was just a job. part of the job. Yeah. What a cool job. So you parlayed that job into something very tech. Right. Uh, you parlayed that into running some of the first social media sites for the company. Well, yeah, over, I programmed for them, I, but in 2010, I moved over to Digisend, that was a startup okay. uh, formed by Oliver Luckett and Rob McGray, um, doing the social media for Disney. So they, I was writing and programming for Facebook, uh, for the big Disney site, as we, we called it. Um, and then we had all these different character pages. I created a character page for uh, the Magic Carpet, Aladdin's Magic Carpet. Oh, wow. But I really liked the early stuff on there. Um, so you'd be post- posting in the character's voice. So And how many did you uh, post content for or curate content for? I don't even remember because we were switching around. Back then, it was the Wild West. It was the early days of social media for the studio. So literally... For Disney, though, not of social right. media. But social like, media had been no, rocking li- for a while. Literally, like, like, like Merritt would go to me and say, Ed, can you make me a page for Thumper? And I'd just write up like eight or nine posts and get the artwork for them. And they'd start posting them within the week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you really have no idea how many pages you 
put up it for was different just... ones. I mean, I wasn't the only one doing it. There yeah. was a team team there, but I I was I wrote for Mickey Mouse. Uh-huh. I wrote for Donald Duck. Uh-huh. I wrote for Walter Elias Disney. Uh-huh. Um, Oswald Rabbit. We were launching Oswald then because oh, yeah, of the Epic Mickey game. Bought him back. Well, this was a while after that. Oh, okay. But, but the Epic Mickey game was big, so they wanted attention around the character. Yeah. Um, and that was really interesting. It's like like I brought Disney knowledge over to Digisend, but they taught me social media. And then after doing Facebook for a while, I led uh, Twitter. I was programming Twitter um, with uh, with Rob McGray there. And first tweets for Disney. We came up with the quotes. First quote was a quote from Walt Disney about new media. Okay. And I pretty much wrote all the tweets for Disney up to over a million uh, followers. Oh wow! Wow! How many tweets did you write over the time? I'd have to know? look. I don't. We were doing. I know they, they catalog it for you. We were mapping it out. Originally, we had themes for a week. We'd kind of uh-huh. have a, a theme uh-huh. and and post around it. I think we did at least two a day. Just two tweets. Yeah, um, probably more than that. Some, but I think it was at least two. Okay. You know, because again, you don't want to do ten posts a day, because then you know people are just like, all right, this is too much. About. I get the sense now, maybe at the time, but now it seems like there's never too much to go on Twitter. I suppose. It seems like a beehive of activity to me, where Facebook is a trickle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's definitely... Twitter, to me, is more about immediacy. Okay. It's like, it's really good for... Even just like this Blu-ray is coming out today, or hey, it's going to be streaming tonight, you can watch this, and all that kind of stuff, or... You know, what's happening right now. And Facebook is, I see what you mean, more of a trickle. And it's more like broader posts. Yeah. Hmm. And so after the social media, then you transitioned again. Well, out of that, um, we moved, I moved over to uh, video producing for, for online, for YouTube, which was, it was in the same group. Um, and this is when we met. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we were doing a series, Talking Friends, uh, which was non-Disney IP. It's for this app, these Talking Tom, a very popular app. And it was an app with a cartoon character, and yeah. you would talk to it, and it would record your voice and spit it back to you in their voice. Yeah, you'd basically, like, you'd have this cat there looking at you, and you'd speak and say, Hello, Tom! And I think he'd cup his ear when you were talking. And, well, no, I did it wrong. You'd say, Hello, Tom! And he'd say back, it would modulate it and say, yeah. hello, Tom. And so it would just parrot what you said. And so, but it was- And it really it, took off. It was incredibly popular around what still is. Um, and then they did different characters, more cats and a dog and a parrot. And so we were doing a cartoon series based around them. Um, and So that's an interesting way. So usually um, stuff like that starts with the story or starts with the IP, I guess. And then- and then transitions into funny little apps like that. But this yeah. was inverted. It started as a weird little right. app that caught fire. And then you had to create a story around it. Yeah, it was it was, was interesting. It, hard? it was hard because there were sort of no characters. But we had to kind of... Um, we had these characters, but there, there was no real uh, character to them. You know, they're created right. in the apps. Um, so we had to create an environment. And it had to be kind of sarcastic and kind of like a little kid edgy if you know what i mean like it, mm-hmm. it wasn't too you know disney safe but right. you know it couldn't be too extreme or anything like that right um didn't have to be so sanitized i guess no no but um 
it was it was really fun to write for that and and did you do it with the Disney brand or was it still under the brand of of the creator? It was under Disney. It was like Disney presents uh, uh, the talking, talking friends. friends. Yeah, uh, but it's Outfit Seven were the creators, and their name is on all of them too. And they're still. Okay. I think they're making a feature now. Oh wow! I don't think it's going to have anything to do with our series though. I think okay. they're just they're just taking off new. Okay. But. Um, Anyways, we did like 10 of those and they've got something like over 500 million views between you- wow. YouTube and Disney.com. And those came out in what, like 2012 or? Uh, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'd have to go back and look. Okay. But we did that. Then we did a series um, based around the Where's My Water video game. Swampy. Okay. Swampy, which was a big initiative for Disney Interactive. Yeah. And we did, I think, 12 episodes for that. Um, online flash animation. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot of fun, and that's got something like 70 million views, too. Wow. And so you did another 10 episodes for that one? Yeah, I think it was 12. I, gotta, 12? I have to look. I okay. lose, lose count. And did those get aired on Disney Channel? And yeah, yeah. Most of them aired on the Disney Channel. It's kind of interesting because you know, you have standards and practices for television. Yeah. So, like, in our first episode, Swampy... Swampy was all about, like, using objects the wrong way. Right. You know, like, improvising with things mm-hmm. he found in the sewer. Like, mm-hmm. And so, in the first episode, we had him using a fire extinguisher as a jetpack. Okay. Puts on his back, flies right. with it. And, you know, Disney Channel said, okay, we can't air this episode because he's using a fire extinguisher in a playful manner. So, they were airing a little movie at the time called Wally, where so I sent them a still of Wally using a fire extinguisher to fly through space. Yeah. With just a question mark, and then well, that's a feature that's different. What? Yep, that was pretty much it. Oh my gosh! Don't mess with Ed Squire. Well, you know, anytime they'd say <laughs> Disney wouldn't do this, you know, that's the thing about knowing knowing uh, yeah. the past of the companies. You can usually find an example where Walt did it. Actually, Walt himself did yeah. it. One of my favorite cartoons uh, was on TV in the 50s, uh, maybe early 60s. It's called The Truth About Mother Goose. Okay. And it's the stories behind uh, behind children's fairy tales. And one of them is Mary Mary Quite Contrary, which is all about Mary Queen of Scots. And they tell in animation on TV, back in the day, it's a story about assassination, uh, adultery, and uh, all done in the Disney style. And uh, oh wow, I Disney have did to it. Find that. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, it's all it's all clean, and you know, it's it's a good story, yeah. but it's told in a way that the parents went, oh okay, I know what this is about, and kids just saw it as an as entertaining a story. Yeah, that's great. So after Swampy, you did another. Well, after Swampy, uh, by the end of Swampy, I was the last producer on on that series. And Mm -hmm. the next opportunity, I was asked if I wanted to make a series around It's a Small World. Oh, my gosh. What a treat. Because we... um, And uh, it's, like, similar to Talking Friends. You have, like, these characters, but no real story. Well... Sort of. Small World's interesting because there's okay. of, sort of no characters to it. Uh-huh. I mean, there are all these, you know, in the attraction, the kids are really generic. It's one of the points of it is that all the kids are exactly the same, mm-hmm. their faces. Mm-hmm. If you know, I don't know if you noticed that in Small yeah, World. Yeah, and they just have different wigs and costumes. They're all the same. Um, so there were never any characters created for Small World before our series. There were some children's books that had some very, very generic 
very little kids. Like yeah. Ling in China rides her bicycle to school. So we actually looked at those okay. and picked out some of them that we wanted for our kids. You know, they came. There had been a, an app uh, created around uh, Joey Chow's book. It's a small world with uh, beautiful artwork, and it's just a balloon with kids flying. Okay. Through scenes uh, inspired by the the song, the book is just the the words to the song. So we figured that we had this app with the book with the kids in a balloon. It's like okay, the series is going to be kids in a balloon going around the world visiting places. Perfect. Simple, short. We're talking about three minute episodes. Right. About. And uh, so we said, how, we're we're working out. We had a great team there in that Naomi studio I in bet. Uh, in Burbank. Very creative space. And we worked out, okay, well, let's have six kids. We can have one from each continent. So we had North America, South America. We had all, except for Antarctica. Uh, and a bird, Wazo. Okay, that, that yeah. Was, that was the joke. Gotta have the bird. Wazo was a blue bird that, his name was spelled W-A-Z-O-H, but it's based on the French word for bird. Okay, Wazo. Yeah. Wazo. That's the joke. Uh, and if you hear Wazo in the series, it's me. I was actually, I actually... Oh, really? Not speaking. At the end, he speaks in his little piece about Spanish language, but when you hear... It was oh, all really? Me as Wazo. But anyways... Hi, Wazo. We're diverting like crazy uh, That's here. okay. But, uh, uh, so we had the six kids from the six continents, and we picked places for them to go to. And uh, we had a great team there that designed the characters in-house. And, wow. Um, so much fun. And and you did it in the style of Mary Blair. Very much inspired by that. So and, and and the other iconic. Ar- artists who worked on, on the original attraction, Rolly Crump, Alice Davis. Um, we went to the WDI library and looked at the artwork. We went down to Disneyland. Was that, wait, was that interesting? Um, you know, you being the archivist and preparing the materials for people doing projects to then you doing the project and going to an archive and having them pull stuff for you. Yeah, I mean, well, this was the WDI archives, the the Imagineering archives, so I'd worked with them before, but yeah, it's... Kind of full circle. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) But, uh, so, you know, they change it for Christmas. They do the holiday show where they sing jingle bells and yes. stuff so the time we were working on this was right when it was closed down to put it back to normal oh okay so that i got the idea i called down to disneyland and said hey you know we're working on this small world series can we come down and look at the attraction while it's closed and they said we're putting the water in at two o'clock tomorrow so come today so Score. the whole art team, we got in the car and raced down there and spent hours walking through the attraction, walking through the canal and looking at the uh, different scenes. And what do you what do you think? Got, what what kind of inspiration did you get from that? Quite a bit. It was really interesting to have the time to stop and look at it. It was actually the the scene for Scotland that inspired us the most. Okay. Or that was the kind of the key. Sometimes you get a key that you you see creatively, mm-hmm. and that gives you the click on how to handle the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because in the Scotland scene, the hills are just uh, displayed as straight, flat plaid. No perspective to it. It's just, boom, this big field of plaid. Yep. And so that suggests a certain surrealism and simplicity to Mm -hmm. it. It lent itself to flash animation for the characters. You Mm -hmm. know, this didn't have to be really elaborately animated. It could be fairly simple. And in that, Mary Blair used paper cutouts and style inner art a lot. So Mm -hmm. that, that informed the style of the series. Very cool. I'm very proud of that series and what what we all came up with. Yeah, and you guys got sponsored by Rosetta Stone. Yes. 
first and first sale for Disney Interactive. Yeah, I mean that was some big milestones were yeah. were made there. Oh, and I, we didn't say you know when you're doing anything with Walt, you got to be careful to you know get it right. And so I brought in um, I knew Richard Sherman. I know Richard Sherman. Oh my gosh. And of, of the, the Sherman, Sherman brothers. brothers. Uh, who quick? So let's quickly tell the audience who the Sherman Brothers are. The Sherman Brothers wrote the music for Mary Poppins. That's what they're best known for. They got two Academy Awards for that, and uh, also wrote "It's a Small World" and dozens and dozens of other Disney songs. They were the in-house composers. Yes. For, for Walt. Yeah, in the '60s. For what? Two decades or? Well, they started writing I know they for a net in the '50s. Yeah, at first they were writing songs for Annette for for Disneyland Records. Okay. And, um, they were writing all albums for her, and then Walt, Walt brought them in. Oh, do they do in. Let's Get Together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, The Parent Trap was their first feature film. Okay. Um, and yeah, so so anyway, so we're doing the new series. I said, okay, uh, people are going to be ready to hate this, but I said, well, let's get Richard Sherman. Robert passed away, to write a new song for us. So he wrote a song, Honor a Merry Way. That we used for our opening titles, and we did a oh my gosh pilot episode. So where Small World was about the world coming to you, and you know, at the World's Fair when when they wrote originally, mm -hmm. Honor Mary Way was about traveling out to visit the world. That's so great. Yeah, and the fact that you could pull in uh, Richard Sherman into that experience, and you know, anchor it kind of to the that, or that original vision that that kind of connects it to Walt in a way. Well, that's it for part one of my in-depth conversation with the talented and fascinating Ed Squire. Join us next week where we learn more about Ed's LA, specifically what he's up to these days with Paper Island Studio, his unique collection of artifacts from La Cienega's Restaurant Row, and his picks for the City of Angels. for this show has been provided by Veneer off their forthcoming sophomore album Chainspreader. Find them on Instagram at Veneer Music or on iTunes. You can contact us via email at onlyinlapodcast at gmail.com. Listen and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, and SoundCloud. And find us on our website at onlyin.la. And please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at onlyinlapodcast. Thanks again, you guys. See you next time. This podcast has been provided to you as a part of the SheTalks.LA network of podcasts. Podcasts by women for everyone.